Hey, welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, September 26, 2021, and we conclude our series called Jesus Changes Everything. And in brackets, I've put about me. And so this Sunday, we're going to conclude with a message entitled, Believing is Not Becoming. May God bless you as you listen. And you know what? We're in a series uh, right now called Jesus Changes Everything about you. And I've put that in brackets, that about you in brackets, because I really wanted to emphasize through this series that, yes, Jesus changes stuff for us, but Jesus changes everything about us. Can you see after a while that Jesus changing stuff for us tends to get a little bit washed out in the repetition of life, but Jesus changing us, well, that's a game changer, isn't it? In the last few weeks, I've taken you to the beginnings of the Gospel of John, specifically chapters 1 and 3. And from there, we learned that the reason Jesus came was to reveal the Father to us. And from John chapter 1, we learned that, that if all we ever do is believe in Jesus for heaven and are not knowing the Father in Christ now, then really nothing about us has changed. Except maybe we believe a few different things. We know Jesus changed everything about us when believing becomes knowing. That was the point of the first couple of messages. Because without knowing, believing is useless. All those things that we just sang about, all those are great things about God. But if they don't change us, then believing is useless. We also learned from chapter 3 that in Christ, our identity and our value has changed too. The Father has always loved us. Christ has changed who we are now, though. And who we are is now related to God. We have been born again, and we are now children of God. We're part of God's family. And when you decided to follow Jesus, when you believed in him for eternal life, you were meant to wake up every single day to that new reality about you. See, if God says something about you, why would you believe anything different? Why would you believe anything different than what God says about you being true? Jesus literally changes everything about you. So we need to start telling ourselves that truth. And then last week, Paul ends drew to our attention John 15 to tell us that the mystery and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make God even more known to us in Christ. And we, as we abide in Christ, in Christ in us, by His Holy Spirit, that dynamic enables us to live life daily in unbroken communion with God. Isn't that an incredible reality to think of? That you and I, being mortal, finite creatures, can know an infinite God personally? I mean, isn't that what we in our evangelical circles brag about? That we, ha- we can have a personal relationship with Jesus? Now today, we conclude this series. We'll go back to John chapter 3 and John chapter 2. And after Jesus' secret nighttime, it's a time of where after Jesus' secret nighttime encounter with, with Nicodemus, we then get into the testimony of John the baptizer. So turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading verse 22 to 36. 
as always, it'll be up here on the overhead, and there are Bibles in the pews. Uh, some of the Bibles are the blue ones with the lines underneath the words Holy Bible. Uh, it's pa- found on page 752. If you're reading one, it's just more of a plain cover with Holy Bible on the front. It's, six, or it's 862. That's the page you can find it on. If for whatever reason you don't have a Bible, at least a modern English translation, uh, I want to encourage you to take one of those Bibles home with you. We'd be glad that you took it home and considered it yours. All right, you ready? John chapter 3, verse 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon uh, uh, near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not Messiah. But I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. And speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. And no one accepts his testimony. But no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it. Certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent. Speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. And the father loves the son. And has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Let's pause to pray. Father, thank you that you hear us when we pray. Thank you that when we read your word, we can hear you. Attune our spirits and our hearts and our minds to your spirit so that we may learn all that we need to today, but more importantly, so that we may hear your voice speak to us about what is being written today. We love you, Lord, and are so glad that you first loved us and sent your son Jesus to pay for the penalty of our sins and to guarantee for us life eternal, now and forever. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to your word right now. We put ourselves in a posture of prayerfulness and of receptivity, so that, Lord, you can be all in all in your word today for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Well, there's a few strong emphases that uh, I want you to see from this passage today that will challenge your and my believing, okay? The first is this. Number one, believing and ritual must become following Jesus daily. 
It's an awkward kind of a sentence, but I did it that way on purpose. Listen to that again. Believing and ritual must become following Jesus daily. Let me reread verse 22 to 26. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now, here we have a scene where Jesus comes to a place near what is known as the Wadi Farar. It is, a wadi is basically a little valley that is often has within its bottom a, a body of water or sometimes a spring. There are many of them along the Jordan River. You can see that there. That's sort of where, just south of the Sea of Galilee, you can see how these wadis all develop along the Jordan River basin there. And right down at the bottom is that uh, wadi al-Fahar. These wadis were a great place for people to congregate, to to get refreshment, uh, to do business, to do all kinds of things. And there are many of them along the, 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 the waterbed here. And these are great spots also for baptism. And as you can tell from John's other experiences, this sort of is John the Baptist's territory, right? I mean, these are his spots. But now Jesus has moved into the neighborhood, and the text tells us that he's baptizing people. And John's disciples aren't too happy about it. It says, there, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. They're not too happy about this. Now, I don't know if John's disciples are more unhappy and upset about the theological argument that arose from this one Jewish fellow about ceremonial washings, or if they're more upset that Jesus is baptizing more than they are. Did you hear the jealousy, though, in their voice? Look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Not to you, John, but to him. But there is a dispute here that we need to point out. A dispute between John's disciples and a certain unnamed Jew over the ritual ceremonial washings which some in the crowd thought John and Jesus' baptism was all about. So when John and Jesus are in the water baptizing people, people didn't walk by and say, Oh man, what, what on earth is going on here? What are they doing? This is weird. No, they, they had a good idea of what was going on because Jewish people had this sort of in their background. They knew that what they were doing, this was more of a kind of a ritualistic immersion in water from their perspective. And it existed in Judaism long before Jesus and John ever started preaching. Now there are basically two reasons, two primary reasons for baptism in Judaism, the religion of the Jews. First of all, Jews baptized new converts to Judaism. So if you were a Gentile, not a Jew, and you wanted to include yourself within the religion and the people of God, then you would undergo a baptism, a ritual cleansing, as a means of identifying yourself with Israel and with God's people. Second of all, Jews also baptized other Jews and themselves as a purification ritual a ceremonial washing, as it says, and it was a way to cleanse themselves from sin for worship. In the book of Leviticus, God instructs the Jews to ritually cleanse themselves from all the many impurities that they could pick up in a day. And there were many ways to become unclean and only a few ways to become clean. 
So washing primarily fulfilled the legal requirements of the ritualistic purity that was in the religion of Judaism. So the, so the Jews could sacrifice and worship at the tabernacle and also at the temple. Now, before you could go to worship, they had to ritually immerse themselves, bathe themselves, cleanse themselves in a flowing body of water or in what was a man-made bath called a mikvah. In fact, there are a number of mikvah baths uh, that you can see today. Even today, as you go around the temple of Jerusalem, you'll see as you go uh, through one of the gates, before you go through one of the gates, there's a number of these pools. And they're called mikvahs, and they're for ceremonial cleansing before you enter into worship. Later, after Moses, uh, in Israel's religion, the, the priests broadened the ritual's meaning, and along with circumcision, they performed baptism or ceremonial washings by immersion as a sign of the covenant that they had been given from Abraham. So when the first century came along, baptism came to be seen as a means of conversion and also a means of maintaining one's religion. But along with John's baptism of repentance came something unique. Along with John's baptism of repentance came the announcement of the arrival of God's Messiah and the kingdom that he would initiate and inspire. And that had never been done before. So this was new good news, and they lapped it up. John chapter 1, if you go there, we have an instance of what took place here under another situation that John the Baptist was in. It says, finally, the Pharisees said... Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. They're asking who John is. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He said, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man coming after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing, John says, with water, was that he might be revealed to Israel. What John was saying to the Pharisees that were challenging him and what was being emphasized in his baptismal preaching was that their believing and ritual must become something more than that. It must become following Ritual and believing must become following. And it was about knowing Jesus as Messiah and Master and following him. And that is still the necessary requirement in our present day believing and in our present day baptizing. I've baptized a lot of people. And I know life is tough and I know the challenges of believing are sometimes even tougher for some. But when you and I are baptized... We were immersed in the messianic mastery of Jesus, were we not? Meaning that we declared by our baptism that we died to our old way of life. That's what baptism is all about. We died to our old way of life and we were born again into a new life that is dominated by Jesus as Lord and Christ. Amen? That's why we were baptized. 
And yet, you probably know some. There are some who I've baptized even that have walked away from their new loyalty and their new life and are now following their old life, their old loyalties, their old passions where they were still the master of their own lives. Brothers and sisters, there's a modern gospel out there today that says that you can believe in Jesus and practice all the rituals of the faith, like baptism and communion and Sunday mornings, and still live as master of your own life. That is a lie from the pit. When believing and ritual don't suit us anymore, some people say, well, to heck with my baptismal commitment, and they abandon the Lord altogether. Again, that's what John was saying to the Pharisees and what was emphasized in his baptismal preaching. That believing in ritual must become following Jesus or it's just empty religion like the Pharisees. It's about knowing Jesus as Messiah and Master daily, forever following. And that's why it appears to John's disciples like Everyone is going to Jesus now. Because this is how it was meant to be. John's mission was to prepare the way of the Lord, not be the way, right? He knew his mission. His disciples didn't have that all too clear in their heads. And John reminds his disciples of this next. But first, let me ask you a question Have you been baptized? If you have not, why not? You online, have you been baptized? If not, why not? Is it because you don't want to limit your options? Is it that you don't want to look like a fanatic? Or more so, is it that you still want to claim some mastery over your life? If you've been baptized, did you truly repent of your sins and give up your old life? Did you turn your back on the old you and have you now progressed from mere believing in Jesus to genuinely following Jesus as Lord and Christ every day. What about you online? What does that look like? Well, let's go to our second point, number two. Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. Verse 27 of John chapter 3. Let's go back there. To this... To John's disciples, because John's disciples feared that Jesus was becoming more popular. John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. I know something about weddings. I just kind of had one this last little while. Lowen's too. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. And I must become less. At first this almost seems a little unrelated to the general context of the passage. Why is John employing a Jewish wedding custom here to parallel his purpose as a preacher? Actually it's a perfect parallel. What's the purpose of the best man at a wedding? You know, you probably wonder. He's probably more than just eye candy, though, and he is. In fact, 
the number one reason for a, 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 a best man at a wedding is to make sure that the groom arrives on time, has the ring, and is also ready to receive his br- the bride. After that, the best man kind of takes a back seat to the groom. It's all about the groom after that, isn't it? His role is important, but it's temporary. Same with John. So now, not only does believing and ritual have to become following or it's empty, but in our following, we must become less so that Jesus can become greater. Does that make sense? Jesus must become greater and I must become less. I think that is an utterly profound and a powerful mantra, if you will, to utter throughout the day. To start our day and to utter throughout the day. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Why don't you join me in saying that? Jesus must become greater and I must become less. One more time. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. What if you said that every morning when you woke up, all throughout the day, and even before you go to bed? What would that change about you? You know, you can tell someone who is genuinely following Jesus because they make a big deal about Jesus in everything. When they wake up in the morning, Jesus is the biggest part of their morning routines. When they face troubles and hurts, they are quick to acknowledge that Jesus is bigger than their trials. You know, yesterday... A friend of mine, a fellow pastor uh, of ours uh, yesterday, an alliance pastor by the name of Murray Lees, died. Struggled a long time with cancer. His kids, Josh and Bryn, used to attend here since moving to North Battleford, though. And it was announced on Facebook yesterday that he passed. And, and I started going, I went to the comment, and I started putting in there, praise be to Jesus. And then I erased it. I backed up the cursor, and I thought, Uh, somebody might think I'm being a little insensitive to Murray's passing. And so I didn't put anything. I just kind of left it. But you know, I know his wife and family would have understood what I meant. Praise be to Jesus in the death of Murray Lees. Right? We face struggles and trials and troubles and pains and hurts in this life. But praise be to Jesus. Right? Jesus must become greater and I must become less. When Jesus is greater than our troubles and our pain, we will open it, openly and confidently tell people that Jesus is greater and that he is worthy of our praise. When people who are genuinely following Jesus meet people that are far from God, they will not hesitate, they will not be afraid to admit that they follow Jesus. Because he is greater than their fear of rejection, right? And when they fail and they sin, those people who actually are following Jesus, when they fail and they sin, they know that Jesus is greater than their sin, right? And his forgiveness is greater as his name is great. When they face temptations of every kind, they unashamedly recognize that in that moment, Jesus must become greater and they must become less. I'll tell you a key to the Christian life, friends. That's the secret to victory over sin and addiction. Victory is only ever gained by the supremacy of Christ in us. Only. Jesus must become greater and I must become less or I will struggle with sin all my life. 
But the alternative is also true. If you claim to believe in Jesus and you don't make a big deal about Jesus, you will become less, he will become less and less and less. He will become less and less in your eyes and in your heart and in your following. I think that is why some believers lose traction and they slip into unbelief and eventually slip away from Jesus. Maybe you feel like you're that place right now. You online, how are you doing? Somehow, they've come to believe that the gospel is all about Jesus making them a big deal. They've been tricked into a self-serving gospel, and that gospel is everywhere. Everywhere you read, everywhere online. It's a gospel that benefits me. It blesses me, provides for me, helps me until I make it to heaven. And then he helps me get there. Their following is all about me becoming greater, me becoming more. But like I said, if I'm becoming more, then what's happening to Jesus in my heart and in my mind? He's becoming less, right? He's becoming less and less and less until I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm expecting him to follow me. And I just do the ritual and I just do the believing But in my heart, he's less than I am. So how are you doing with all that? You here in the room, you online. How are you doing with Jesus becoming greater and you becoming less? When we we say that Jesus changes everything and we put in brackets about me, the question that we should become very familiar with every single day that we should ask ourselves all the time is, Just how much of me has changed lately? How much of me has become less lately? And how much of Jesus has become more in me? Let's see. Number three. True belief in Jesus becomes a spirit-enabled life change. True belief in Jesus becomes a spirit-enabled life change. Verse 31. 31 to 36. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. Of course, the one from above is Jesus. The one from the earth is John in this passage. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. No one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. You ever been asked the question, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life ever, what would it be? For instance, chicken or beef? Who would would say chicken? If I had to eat one food every day for the rest of my life, who'd say chicken? Who'd say beef? Oh, that's a toss-up. I don't know. You've never had my barbecue yet. You know? <laughs> now imagine you live in a world where there is only one television show. It doesn't matter what the TV show is. There is only ever going to be one TV show. 
and the same episode always. Would you be okay with that? No? Why? Because, you know, no one likes that much predictability, do we? How does the old saying go? Variety is the spice of life, right? At first, predictability can be comforting. And I think we learned a little bit about that over COVID in the last 18 months or so, right? There was a predictability. There was an aloneness. There was a being stuck at home, and that was good for a time. But then after a while, we all got kind of bored of that. At first, predictability can be comforting because it has some manner of of repetition and sameness, and we kind of like a bit of that. But after a while, and it depends on the individual as to how long that will be, predictability becomes boring, doesn't it? And when we get bored, we give up on engaging in activities that we once liked. Like, pick your favorite TV show. Mine is NCIS, original team all the way, okay? Even this new NCS Hawaii, no, no, it's got to be Gibbs all the way. But if all you ever got to watch was the same episode of NCIS, even I would give up watching TV very quickly. I wonder just how much of our believing in Jesus has become predictable. Eh? You see him doing the same old stuff, teaching the same old stuff, hearing it at church all the time, the same old way. Could it be that much of our believing is that that same repetitious faith activity, it's just always been that way for us? Like how much of your faith journey ever changes from day to day? More specifically, are you the same person of faith today that you were last year? What about last decade? What about last week? Or even more specifically, are you the same person of faith you were yesterday? Friend, if every day your ambition is to become less so that Jesus can become greater, then you will never, ever, ever get bored with your faith. Never. You'll never get bored with your faith. There's nothing predictable about that kind of believing because you're always changing, you're always growing, you're always expanding the capacity of your trust in Christ when he becomes greater in your, in your eye. And if I believe that the Father truly loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands, as our Bible says it is, then that should prove itself true by how I live out my faith. As verse 33 asks, does your believing and ritual certify that God is truthful? In other words, does your life look like Jesus is Lord? Or do you live like the rest of your classmates? Does your work ethic look like the rest of your self-seeking, entitled world around you? Does your parenting mirror the values and commands and promises of Scripture, or does it perpetuate the dead priorities of the world? Does how you treat your neighbor during a pandemic look and sound like the fear and hate that you hear on social media and on the news and even by our own authorities above us? Or do you love your neighbor regardless of their convictions 
regardless of the risk that we're being told they pose to you? Do you love them? Love does not vilify, shame, or spread fear. Love loves like Jesus does. He doesn't shame you, vilify you, or cause you to be afraid. Fear is not of God, the Bible says. As verse 34 asks it, does your life look like the spirit without limits? Or does it look like a social media religion? It's easy to be spiritual and committed on social media, isn't it? But true religion doesn't live on social media or on streaming services. It lives in real face-to-face encounters with real live people. In case you don't know it yet, but 99% of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and TikTok are lies. How do I know that? Well, evaluate the posts that you read. Does that post that you're taking in tell you that Jesus is Lord? If not, it's a lie. 99% of the time, it's the world telling you and your kids what is true for the world and should be true for you. It's great that Christians are on social media. I don't want to downplay that at all. Our church is on social media. Just don't let your posts be like a drive-by shooting for your faith. You know what I mean by that, right? Anyone can be brave on social media. But let's stop posting things like, if you love Jesus, you'll pass this on. Let's stop posting things like, Jesus is Lord and you're going to hell if you don't believe that. Instead, I'd love it if Christians would post more things like your personal testimony of faith in Christ. Things like, you know, there was a time in my life where I was lost, I was self-centered, and I was angry. But then I met Jesus, and he changed everything about me. And since then, I have hope. I have compassion for people that I never would have had compassion for before. And I have joy. I have unspeakable joy in my life now because of Jesus. Do you have a testimony like that? Do you have a story like that? Share it on social media. Share it. And post more scripture. Not scriptures to prove your point. Just scriptures that encourage and build up not shame and hate and perpetuate hate and fear on social media. You can do that with Scripture too, you know. But that's not right. I hope, like me, you never want your faith to become predictable and boring. I know, I know you want your faith to be enticing, especially to the people that you love that are far from Jesus. They burden your heart every day, and you want them to come to know the love of Jesus like you have. I know that's true about you. So let's not let our lives end up like a constant rerun of the same old believing and the same old ritual, even regarding our Sunday attendance. Remember, Jesus is bigger than Sunday. He's just bigger than this. And we should make that known here by how we worship him. Show up here, not to show up. Show up here to make Jesus great. Make his praise great in this house. And when you read and you hear the word of God being praised and and promoted, praise him. Let's 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 be determined to make the most of Jesus and how we live each and every day for him and by him. So that when others meet us for the very first time, by how we live our lives for him and by him, they will say, wow, that person... 
Jesus is, is a big deal to them. And for those people that you know well, who maybe you'll see again on Sunday morning or even a week from now, they'll look at you and go, wow, Jesus sure changed them. Something happened just in the last couple of days. I don't know what it is, but... Sure, some will think you're a little peculiar. But remember John the Baptist? How does the Bible describe him? I'll ask the worship team to come up as I read this last part here. Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Here's John. John wore clothes made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. John appeared a little eccentric. He was a little out there looking, even for his day. But that didn't stop people from coming after him, even out of the big cities and into the small little rural areas. Why? It wasn't because of how he was dressed. It was because of his message. Listen to what he says in, says in verse 7 and 8. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Sure, John looked a little eccentric, but he was preparing for the kingdom of God for what it was becoming in Jesus. And Jesus' future baptism, a baptism of, of the Spirit, would accomplish that for us mere human beings. The old Jewish ceremonial washings wouldn't do that. Even water baptism for repentance wouldn't do that. No, one day, a baptism of the Holy Spirit would be what was necessary for the kingdom of God to be realized and for Jesus to become great in his followers. That's why, still today, you and I must become less in order to prove that Jesus is more so that we can prove that we are living dependent on the Holy Spirit every single day. So when Jesus is more, you prove the Holy Spirit has enabled the kingdom of God in you. And you become more like Jesus every day. That's the benefit. So why don't we just try that on for size? Why don't you say with me those words, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. One more time. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Make it your morning mantra, the thing you say throughout the day and when you lay your head on the pillow at night. Make Jesus greater in your eyes and you will become less. God bless you.